Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one. Oh, so much! But let's get into it. We don't need another stimulus bill. That damn thing rings. That phone rings every show, Mister Producer. It is salespeople trying to get through. It's amazing. Anyway, what was I saying? We don't need another stimulus bill. We're funding the wrong things. I don't trust McConnell worth a damn. I don't trust McConnell worth a damn. The Republicans have agreed, as Daniel Horowitz points out, that the feds can print an unlimited amount of money, and that's what they're doing. $1,200 check per person again? Paying off the teachers' unions, tens of billions of dollars for public schools, so many of which will not be holding class, certainly not in the traditional way. $30 billion for universities with zero conditions attached, so we're bailing out the Marxist universities so they can teach BLM anarchism. I mean, that's exactly the wrong position. You're creating permanent dependency, as he points out. The counties have so much cash from the first round of bailouts that in Baltimore, they're giving out three free meals a day indefinitely to anyone with a child, regardless of income level, and delivering free meals to anyone over 60, including wealthy people. It makes the Obama stimulus era look like Barry Goldwater Nirvana. There's only handouts, no tax cuts. The proposal provides more forgivable small business administration loans for businesses under 300 employees that have lost more than 50% of their revenue. Now, that's the most justifiable part of the deal, given that government has shut them down. But let out, but left out, 
is the promise of a payroll tax cut. The bill also extends expanded unemployment benefits, though at a lower amount than the first round. And this works against the first one. Either we are getting businesses reopened or not. Paying people not to work makes it impossible for restaurants or other businesses to find workers. And if you further incentivize states to continue with the lockdowns without placing conditions on their powers, what's the point of shoveling more money at businesses that can't even stay open? And who says crime doesn't pay? The framework, the McConnell framework, provides governors with a $5 billion slush fund to be used for whatever they want in the realm of education. Could they now use it for BLM activities? Who knows? Well, it doesn't offer any direct handouts to the state and local governments. It allows them to use the original $150 billion from the March bill to make up for lost revenue and extends the deadline for using the funds from December 30 to four months after the end of the fiscal year. So all the states that allow both tyranny against peaceful citizens and anarchy for BLM at the same time are being rewarded rather than defunded. And it goes on. So these are not stimulus bills. These are welfare bills. The Republicans should vote against this. It's not going to help the economy. It's not going to help the president. And already Schumer and Pelosi are saying $1 trillion. We need $3 trillion. It's time to shut the door on these people. And to go out into the electoral market, into the street, knocking on doors for these politicians, raising enough money to put ads on the air and take on the left and take on what they're doing. There really has never been a better opportunity because the Marxist Democrat Party traders are showing themselves. Now, traders, Mark, just for the New York Times and others who never asked me for input but seem to write about me plenty. I'm using the definition that Nancy Pelosi is. The Confederates were traitors because they tried to overthrow the government. Well, that's exactly what BLM and Antifa and the Democrat Party is trying to do. So they're traitors. As Nancy Pelosi would define it. Now, I've got in my audio list here, clip after clip after clip after clip of patriotic men and women in law enforcement being called all kinds of names. Secret police. Uh, Michael Steele is a loathsome POS, and I'll get to him, the former head of the RNC. He's just complete sleazeball. Much like Joe Scarborough. So we have a secret police, a Nancy Pelosi again with the stormtroopers, We have Clyburn, the Gestapo, these men and women are trying to protect. If they wanted to be all the things that they're called, you would see massive casualties among the Marxist anarchists. Massive casualties. How many casualties have you seen in Portland, Mr. Producer? Almost none. Except when it comes to the cops. Over at the Blaze... At least three federal officers may be permanently blind after Portland rioters attack them with lasers. Now, don't you think 
that if you're pointing a laser at the eyes of a police or federal officer, that you deserve to be hit over the head with a billy club or shot with a stun gun or a rubber bullet or worse? Don't you think? I do. Let me put it to you this way. I don't give a damn what the media say and the Democrats say and these ex-generals say and these ex-DHS butch guys have to say or the John Wilkes Booth Project has to say. The way you put down violent rioters is with more power than they have. And you put them down. And guess what? Then they stop. Then the course houses are safe. Then the businesses are safe and the people are safe. 55 consecutive days in Portland, Oregon. This has nothing to do with racism, nothing to do with police brutality, and everything to do with trying to burn down a federal courthouse. And so the President of the United States has acted responsibly. We have Jed Johnson on MSLSD today, worked for the Obama administration, that this smells like politics, secret police deployment. Maxine Waters, who's mentally unstable, a very sick woman, uh, Trump's secret police, a trial run. We have the former Republican National Committee Chair Michael Steele, loathsome, on MSNBC. Trump wants to appease white people by sending in federal agents. God, what a, what a... Scarborough still claims Portland is filled with peaceful protesters. Now, he does that from his home in Jupiter, Florida, but he's not going to Portland to check it out, like Ami Horowitz and others. It's shocking. Lawrence O'Donnell, an unhinged moron on MSLSD, like the rest of the freak show that is that lineup, blames federal police for riotous behavior in Portland. Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, during a press conference. Again, she refers to U.S. police in Portland as stormtroopers. Joe Biden today. Trump is spreading racism and it's sickening. Hillary Clinton, today, you cannot be civil with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for. John Sig Heilman on The Morning Joe, again, is there anybody who doesn't think Trump might impose martial law in November? Tara Setmeyer, a CNN commentator. Trump's entire career displays racism. It's just on and on and on every single day. The Democrats, the Democrat Party media, the tenured Marxist professors, the contributors, the guests, it is a drumbeat. The question is whether you're going to buy into all this. Not you, but you know who. You see what's going on in Portland. We have eyewitnesses. We have citizen reporters there. If Joe Scarborough is going to say Portland's peaceful, why doesn't he go out to Portland and check it out? Why doesn't he and his lovely wife, Mika Blazinska, why don't they go over there, leave their comfortable estate in Jupiter, Florida, and head over there? How come there's really no in-person reporting between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. in the morning in Portland from any of these major newsrooms? Very little, in fact. Why don't they go out there? Like the mayor of Portland went out there and he tried to 
talked to his people, and they booed him down and called him curse words and yelled at him. The mayor of Portland, who is a Marxist agitator, goes in with the violent crowd and winds up getting tear gas. Then his special protection has to pull him out. How many of you think it's okay to use hammers, bricks, rocks, spears, um, the most powerful fireworks available against police officers and a courthouse to try and pull off the plyboard off the windows that's there to protect or to breach a temporary fence that surrounds the courthouse to protect it. How many of you think that's okay? How many of you think you would get away with that? Try and paint over a Black Lives Matter sign in the street in New York or Washington, D.C. They'll throw you in jail immediately. Immediately. So what's happening here is there's two types of justice. The rioters, the looters, the arsonists, the Marxists, the traitors, the Democrats, they're fine. Special bail reform where they never get, get held more than a few minutes. They're fine. And then the rest of us. If you own legally, constitutionally a weapon and you, you go out on your own private property because people are threatening you, well, in St. Louis you're going to be prosecuted. If you're a police officer in one of our cities and you're trying to defend a, a monument or a building or other people and a 2020 vision, some leftist prosecutor funded and elected by George Soros and others wants to make a, uh, an example out of you of using too much force, you'll be prosecuted. Tell me, do you think Antifa and Black Lives Matter and these Marxists, you think they care about headlocks? When they're using lasers to blind police officers? Oh, excuse me, the Gestapo, stormtroopers, the secret police. This is what all these Democrats are calling these patriots. And then there's Michael Steele. More when I return. Mark Lovin. Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. I want you to listen to Michael Steele, the former RNC chair, and what a, in my view, race baiter he's become. Just awful. I guess he forgets what Schumer and his staff did to him 
I guess he forgets what MSNBC used to say about him, but he gets a paycheck from these people now. Cut three, go. I know from from Maryland to Massachusetts to California to, to Florida, all across this country, governors, whether they're Republican or Democrat, um, would not welcome the kind of approach this president is taking. And not only does it set up the obvious constitutional problems between the 10th and the 14th Amendment. All right, let, and, let, let's, let, let's stop. First of all, you're an ignoramus. The 10th Amendment. Tell me, when was the last time the 10th Amendment was used? The 14th Amendment, due process, equal protection. You're not even citing the right parts of the Constitution. It has nothing to do with the conflict between the 10th and the 14th Amendments. What has the President of the United States done? He's used the existing framework that's been in existence since the Civil Rights era and the Civil Rights riots, the Vietnam War riots. So he didn't create this uh, legal foundation. That's number one. If he brings in the military under the Insurrection Act, that was passed in 1807 and has been used by dozens of presidents of the United States. And there's two different situations. What's going on in Portland is an Insurrection Act possibility. What's going on in Chicago is the expansion of an existing platform where legal entities work with each other. Now the, the mayor of Chicago has actually welcomed it. So what is he even talking about? He's an ignoramus. Trump hasn't done anything out of the ordinary. In other words, he's done nothing extraordinary. He's trying to manage this from a federal perspective. He's getting advice from the best lawyers in the country at the United States Department of Justice. They're the ones in charge. The Department of Homeland Security is in charge. They're getting advice from career civil servants, as they always do. And yet they paint him as a racist and violating the Constitution. Go ahead. And Lord knows what else. But the, the idea that the federal government is going to come in and and do something uh, over and above what the what the local officials, the mayor uh, and, of course, the governor and state officials are already doing speaks to their individual sovereignty, speaks to how they manage and run their cities. So, Mr. So I'll Mr. tell you Pres- what, Michael Steele would have been on the side of the Confederacy, I suppose. I guess he's not aware of the post-Civil War America. He's making the case of nullification. He's making the case that sanctuary cities are fine. He's making the case of breakaway cities, breakaway states. He's making the case that citizens are not citizens of the United States, which Madison insisted and Lincoln insisted. He's ignoring existing federal law. He's ignoring the United States Constitution. He is a complete... What? Moron. I'll keep it at that. What a dummy. I'll be right back. Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom. And freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale's been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God, Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844, and it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto 
come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. More logic than allowed by law. The Mark Levin Show. Call now at 877-381-3811. All right, now let's go to the end of Michael Steele's comments because he knows that in order to to be popular on MSNBC, in order to be asked back, in order to get paid, he needs to make outrageous statements like this. Go. It's not the case in Portland. It's certainly not the case in Chicago. And what the president is doing is stoking a law and order meme to appease not not, uh, you know, those folks, but to, to appease those white citizens who look at these places, these largely black and brown cities, these urban centers and says, oh, my God, we've got to do something, Mr. President. And he's like, I'm here to the rescue. You are a dumb SOB. You know that? You are a dumb SOB. And that whole group that sits there every damn morning, a bunch of dumb SOBs. From Scarborough on down. Zig Heilman. This guy, Steele. There are people suffering in these cities. And to play a race card like this? These are the real racists, ladies and gentlemen. Joe Scarborough, Michael Steele, Zig Heilman, they're the racists. Did you hear one word of compassion about what's taking place in these cities where a large number of minorities live? Did you hear one word of compassion for law enforcement, including men and women who are minorities in law enforcement, have a hell of a tough job? Did you hear one word of compassion? from Michael Steele, about any of the people who are slaughtered day in and day out in these cities. One word. Not a word. And you'll not hear it on MSNBC. And you'll not hear it on CNN. Even these damn mayors show no compassion for their own people in their own communities who they're supposed to represent. Oh, Ocasio-Cortez is very upset. She alleges that Congressman... What is his name? That the congressman Yoho from Florida said some outrageously nasty things about her. Did she speak up once? And he denies most of it. Did she speak up once? When Talib was trashing Jews? No. Did she speak up once? When Omar was trashing Jews? Not in the least. Did she speak up once when Donald Trump was called Hitler? Not once. But it's AOC. My God, the world must come to an end. Forget about the burning and the slaughter. Forget about the efforts to destroy our country from her ilk on the radical Marxist left. No, no, no. It's hurtful words, not looting, not arson. I could care less what they call each other, what they do to each other. I could care less what they do on Capitol Hill. And the news media is all of my God. My God. Oh, what a selective moral outrage, right? Oh, my God. Did you hear what she alleges he said? Now, there's no witness to what she says he said. I don't even care witness, no witness. We got federal police officers in Portland, three of them who might be blind, 
And I don't even see a story on this on cable TV. Nothing. But MSNBC is the racist network, the bigoted network. CNN, too. To make this comment, stoking a law and order meme. Now, ladies and gentlemen, do you think the president of the United States is creating a meme in trying to deal with massive violence in this country? He's dealing with a meme or is he dealing with real life human beings who are suffering and a meme to appease not those folks in the cities, but those white citizens who look at these places, these largely black and brown cities, these urban centers that say, oh, my God, we've got to do something, Mr. President. He's like, I'm here to the rescue. What a sick bastard. You punk Feel happy to, you can call into this show, punk. Make comments like this. Shocking. And Joe Scarborough, from his estate in Jupiter, commenting on what's going on around the world. And then when he goes off the air, you know, he's like, uh, well, I won't say. Listen to him, cut four, go. You know, two things could be true at once. These can be deeply troubling, disturbing uh, rallies or attacks against rallies, against peaceful protests uh, for the most part. Oh, uh, another one with the peaceful protests for the most part. Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Scarborough has not been there. Does he talk to people who've been there who aren't politicians? Has he talked to Ami Horowitz? Has he talked to... To citizen reporters are getting their brains kicked in there? No, he does not. He just came back from a mental health vacation. Obviously, the vacation was too short. Go ahead. Uh, the seizing of, of Americans off the streets by unmarked police officers thrown into... Whoa, 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 whoa. The seizing of Americans off the streets by unmarked police officers. Now think about how stupid that is. Most FBI agents who are males wear suits. Most are females wear pantsuits or dresses. They don't have special FBI uniforms for most FBI agents. Most police detectives do not wear uniforms with the words emblazoned police detectives. Most of them wear suits. Or again, if they're female pantsuits or dresses. We have all kinds of people in law enforcement who don't have special suits. Now, as for pulling people off the streets and kidnapping them, can Joe Scarborough tell us exactly who was pulled off the street and kidnapped? Can he tell us where they're being held? I assume there hasn't been a court date. And I assume that if there has been a court date set, an arraignment or something of that sort, it's public because they're all supposed to be public. So specifically, who is Joe Scarborough talking about? It must be happening on a massive scale because this is their meme. Who are the people being pulled off the street in secret in unmarked cars? And by the way, most FBI vehicles are unmarked. Many federal law enforcement vehicles are unmarked. Now, can you imagine, this guy's such a low IQ uh, spaghetti head, can you imagine 
driving into a mob of a couple thousand Antifa Marxists who are using lasers and frozen water bottles and bricks and very powerful firecrackers and spears and hammers and all the rest. Can you imagine marching in like redcoats? Say, hey, we're with the FBI. FBI, see that? It's on our show. FBI. And here we are in our vehicle. See, it says FBI. What do you think would happen to those men and women? What do you think would happen to those men and women? So what they're really upset about is that law enforcement is conducting itself in a way where it can actually do its job. No. Instead, they're supposed to be pinatas for these pukes dressed up in black with black umbrellas covering their faces, trying to burn down a federal courthouse. And by the way, Portland is not largely black and brown, is it, Mr. Producer? We'll look into this. I thought it was largely white with some black and brown. Since we're getting into, uh, you know, paint by the numbers around here. Much like Joe Scarborough's broadcast. Mostly white with a few speckles of black and brown from time to time. You bring in suckers like Michael Steele, who've sold their souls. They've lost all credibility of any kind. Now with the race baiting. Go ahead. Bands and whisked away uh, with the police not having probable cause. And at the same time. Uh, now, now Joe Scarba has decided from his mansion in Jupiter that all the way across the country in Portland, people are being whisked away without probable cause. Which individual is he talking about? Uh, I don't know. Well, did you check the court records? They're all public. So people aren't being whisked away without probable cause. Yes, they're unmarked cars, I suspect, and federal officials who are not necessarily dressed up as soldiers. And on the one hand, you can hear, what are they doing dressed up in camouflage? What are they doing dressed up in riot gear? What are they doing dressed up as a SWAT team? And then it's, what are they doing dressed up as? Well, people not announcing themselves, not wearing the proper uniform. You're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. We all know what's going on here, ladies and gentlemen. The never-Trumpers, the Democrats, the media, the same people with the Russia hoax, the same people pushing a coup, the same people pushing an unconstitutional impeachment, the same people who wanted a third term for Obama or a first term for Hillary, who want Joe Biden in office, whether he has a 2 IQ or a negative 50 IQ, doesn't matter to them. They are not only supporting the rioters, they are giving the maiden comfort. These are all Democrats. These rioters are Democrats and their character assassins in the media are Democrats or never Trumpers. And they are creating an uncivil society where we had a civil society. And these slow-talking Moronic Joe Scarborough, the little boy on the bridge of the movie Deliverance, grown up to be the little boy on the bridge of the movie Deliverance, Joe Scarborough, he's got it all figured out. All figured out. 
And so I want to know who's been whisked away, kidnapped by secret police, by stormtroopers, by Gestapo. I want to know their names. I want to know if they went to court. I want to know what happened. And Joe Scarborough has a responsibility to find out since he's the one throwing these terms around. But he won't. He won't look into it. Because he's a walking, talking hemorrhoid. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom. And freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Now for the media and the Democrat race baiters out there, Portland is 73% white, 9.4% Hispanic, and 6.1% black. So... Here we have, do we have this Michael Steele again, Mr. Producer? Go ahead and play that. It's not the case in Portland. It's certainly not the case in Chicago. And what the president is doing is stoking a law and order meme to appease, not, yes. not uh, you know, those folks, but to, to appease those white citizens who look at these places, these largely black and brown cities, these urban centers, and says, oh, my God, we've got to do something. Mr. President, and he's like, I'm here to the rescue. Now, this guy obviously has demonstrated that he... He's as dumb as a doorknob. But in Portland, 73% white, 9.4% Hispanic, 6.1% black. Now in Chicago, where they're dealing with different type of violence, almost 100% of the murder taking place in Chicago, which is massive, which is like a war zone in terms of its numbers, its casualties, is black-on-black crime. He's not appeasing white citizens by trying to do something about black-on-black crime, you putts. He's trying to protect American citizens. But it doesn't meet Michael Steele's narrative or the narrative day in and day out, 24-7 on MSNBC or on CNN. If Barack Milhouse Benito Obama had said, this is enough, I'm going to send in troops, he'd be applauded. If he said, we need to ramp up federal law enforcement to protect the federal courthouse, he wouldn't get any complaints from Republicans or conservatives or white people, you jerk. Does he sound compassionate to you? Does he sound like Black Lives Matter to you? In fact, 
Does anyone on MSNBC or CNN sound like Black Lives Matter? Not the group, human beings. How about these mayors? Do they sound like Black Lives Matter? When they're taking the casualties? Sick. This is why Leo Terrell and so many others have flipped. That's enough of the Democrats. That's enough of the left. I see what they've done. I see what they're doing. I see how they use black people. I see how they use Hispanic people. I'm out. I'm out. Count me out. I'm going Republican and I'm voting for Trump. Because that's your only alternative. That's it. The reason Nancy Pelosi calls our brave patriots stormtroopers is because none of her family members have ever been in law enforcement. None of her close family members. None of her close family members have been in the military. She and her slob of a husband and her 412 kids have milked this country for everything it's worth. They become famous. They become enormously wealthy. They have multiple estates. They have a vineyard. She's treated like a queen, the way she's protected on Capitol Hill, full-time protection, private jets, military jets, the Speaker of the House. Everybody bows to her. She walks by. Madam Speaker, Madam Speaker. And yet she's a disgusting lowlife. And if she can call our brave men and women who put their lives on the line to fight these Marxist bastards... If she dares to call them stormtroopers, Nazis, she can go to hell. And so can that clown, that boy man, Chuck Schumer. By the way, who wears the pants in that relationship? Schumer or Pelosi? Have you noticed that, Mr. Producer? He kind of shuffles behind her. Yes, Nancy. Yes, Nancy. Yes. Good job, New York. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. By the way, those who are keeping racial count as they do on the left our third biggest city Chicago is 49.4% white 30.1% black I thought I would point that out Um, I want to play this again because during the break I was thinking about this. This last part from Michael Steele again. Go ahead. It's certainly not the case in Chicago. And what the president is doing is stoking a law and order meme to appease not not, uh, you know, those folks, but to, to appease those white citizens who look at these places, these largely black and brown cities, these urban centers and says, oh, my God, we've got to do something. Mr. President. OK, he's like, Here, here's what I want to say. Sometime in the last several years, we've reached a point where you can say anything about white people. 
in this category, I don't even like. There's a lot of people that's thrown in as white people. Okay, but let's, let's do this. You can say anything you want about white people. Anything. The most horrific thing, white privilege, that they're systemically racist, that racism is in their DNA, that they don't work hard, they're privileged. Um, anything they get, they owe to other people. You can say anything you want about white people. Anything. Particularly if you're in the media, particularly if you're a liberal, whatever your race, and particularly if you're a minority. You can say anything you want about white people. As grotesque and dishonest and racist as it is, it doesn't matter. And you can see it all day long on MSNBC, on CNN, perhaps even in your workplace. Now, if you say anything that you don't even think is offensive, involving black people, brown people, red people, yellow, whatever, you can be destroyed. Absolutely destroyed. If you spoke of black people or Hispanic people, or other people, the way that white people are talked about, you'd be called a bigot and a racist, and you'd be ruined. Now, this is an intolerable situation. Putting down other human beings, and Charles Barkley was talking about this, and he was right on. Putting down other human beings doesn't improve your lot. You know better than those Confederate general monuments that you're pulling down. Nancy Pelosi wants to expunge from Capitol Hill any remnants of the Confederacy, except her own party and the Russell Senate office. But okay, that's a whole other thing, racist and so forth. And yet she'll use the most outrageous language. And she's not alone. You heard Michael Steele. And he's not alone. It's every day. And we're told that's okay. You can have relatively new immigrants into this country, like Omar, who's a Muslim, say the most grotesque and hateful thing about Jews, and the Democrat Party endorses her. Bernie Sanders, Nancy Pelosi, their funding wing, endorse her in a four or five way Democrat primary. She doesn't have to pay any price for what comes out of her mouth. Or Talib. She's Palestinian. Her parents come from the Middle East. Says the most horrendous thing about Jews. That's okay. It's Talib. No big deal. That's okay. Look at Joe Biden. Joe Biden has said the most bigoted things throughout his long, useless unproductive, bureaucratic career about minorities and particularly black people. And he's running around the last 48 hours calling the president a racist. Why? You want to know why? Because of that poll I talked about with you the other day that shows Donald Trump making a little bit of progress more than prior Republicans in terms of, of uh, Democrat, black Democrat support. And it only takes a few points. 
It only takes a few points. So, we need to think about where these elitists, these people in power, whether they control the media, whether they control sports, whether they control entertainment in Hollywood, these political parties, and particularly the media, where are they taking us here? And now they're talking about martial law. They point to the clearing out of Lafayette Park where you had Marxist anarchists pulling down statues in Lafayette Park right across from the White House, damaging the old St. John's Church and doing much more damage that they haven't shown you on TV. And they claim it was done to clear it out so Trump could have a photo up. That's not why it was done. The park police said exactly why it was done. The attorney general has explained why it's done. And they were even threatening to, to rush the White House. And so all of a sudden, all these mostly peaceful protesters, they're the victims. They're the victims. That's Marty, our dog in the background. The thunder and so forth is bouncing around, so he gets very scared about it. He doesn't have his buddy Barney around to help him. So anyway, I'm talking about the kind of language that's being used. And nobody's condemned for it. Nobody. Nobody's condemned for it. All right. Now, part of the problem also is... What? What? That's Marty warning me that there's thunder. Hold on for three seconds. Hold on. What is it? What is it? Go, go, go. Go, go, go. Okay. All right, I'm coming. Live and national, baby. That's how we roll. Marty doesn't like the thunder. He's 13 and a half. He's a wonderful dog. His little buddy's not with him. Barney was not worried about the thunder and the lightning. Uh, but uh, but Marty is. Okay. And then in addition to what I was just discussing, we have this from the Cato Institute and the YouGov National Survey. The Daily Caller, walking on eggshells, 62% of Americans are afraid to express political views, survey finds. Now, let me just say this. You go out in public and you wear a MAGA hat, or anything that looks like a MAGA hat, particularly the closer you move to a, a city, the closer you're traveling to a city, you take your life in your own hands. That's new to America, isn't it? I can remember when the ACLU was defending the Nazis in Skokie. And they won their legal case, and they'd march right down the street. So it's not just the Confederate flag, it's not just the Confederates, If you dare to wear a MAGA hat and show your support for the Republican president of the United States, you are very likely to be physically assaulted. If you wear a Biden hat, I've never seen a Biden hat, but if you wear a Biden hat, nobody's going to bother you. Self-censorship, they say, is on the rise according to a new Cato Institute survey. And they report nearly two-thirds of Americans are afraid to share their political views. A new Cato Institute YouGov National Survey found 62% of Americans say the political climate today prevents them from saying what they believe. This is, now, now let's just slow down. 
Some Americans are obviously afraid to express their political views. The truth is the left is not afraid in the least. I haven't even seen the rest of this survey yet. I'm going to go through it with you. As I just discussed, I used to watch ESPN. I don't watch it at all anymore. I don't want to watch it anymore. There's no point. 31% of liberals, 30% of moderates, 34% of conservatives are worried their political views would get them fired or harm their career trajectory, the Cato Institute and their survey said. I don't know why liberals or moderates are worried. They have nothing to fear. Have you ever heard of a uh, people been having their uh, this this culture cancel cancel culture? Have you ever heard of them having their careers canceled because they're liberals? Have you, Mister Producer? I haven't. Or they're moderates. There have been shifts across the board where more people among all political groups they write feel they are walking on eggshells. Cato Institute survey found. Adding majorities of Democrats, 52%, independents, 59%, and Republicans, 77%, who all agree they have political opinions they're afraid to share. Now, this is why people are talking about the silent majority. When you have a large majority of Republicans and a significant majority of independents who are afraid to express their political viewpoints. In America. In America. You wear a MAGA hat. You could be harmed. You voice your opinion for the Constitution and so forth, you can be destroyed. And by the way, look, look, it goes beyond that. Look at the Hasidic Jews in Brooklyn who are punished, who are beaten, who are abused with no support from the mayor. Most of the perpetrators are from the African-American community. You don't hear civil rights leaders speaking out. Nobody speaks out. Nobody cares. As I pointed out in the Fairfax area of Los Angeles. We had Rabbi Berg on the program. I had other rabbis tell me it was like a pogrom with one third of the synagogues being vandalized or desecrated. They're having graffiti, the swastika. You didn't see reports on this. A majority of centrist liberals who in 2017 said they could express their views freely now say they have to self-censor. Well, liberals are hardly the silent majority. Their paramilitary wing is in the streets every night. Every night. And the stormtroopers, federal law enforcement, are trying to protect a federal courthouse. Do you think if Nancy Pelosi's house was being firebombed and bombarded, and if you think people marched into their vineyard and up to their estate, and we're threatening them and their family and their dog and her $25,000 refrigerators and her ice cream. Do you think that she would think this is uh, peaceful? Of course not. Or do you think if these people marched on the Scarborough estate in Jupiter, Florida, do you think they'd think this is fine, mostly peaceful? Of course not. They just haven't been touched by this yet. Notice the mayors who are, whether in Seattle or Oakland, they have to catch their breath after people are threatening them and writing graffiti on their driveway and shooting pellets or whatever it is at their house. 
You know what they used to say? A liberal is a conservative who hasn't been mugged yet. Something to that effect. Isn't that true, Mr. Producer? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. All right. I think we should take a few phone calls here. I've been derelict in that a little bit, although there's so much to cover. Let us go to Frank, Leesburg, Virginia, the great WMAL. Go. Hello? Yes, Frank. You're on, brother. Hey, how you doing, Mark? Thanks for okay. taking my call. Thank you. Um, I'm a police officer. I'm also a minority American, um, Hispanic. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, what's going on in the world is just appalling, especially in our cities. I mean, I grew up in the ghetto. Uh, I actually dropped out of high school. And I made something out of myself. And um, I just, I just, I'm really just sad to what America has come to. Uh, I was formerly also a, a Democrat, and I returned to Republican uh, because of what's going on in the world. And I hope that everybody else sees what's going on and does the same. It, you, it, it's got to be so dispiriting for you and for your fellow officers. Uh, you, you signed up. You want to make a career out of this. You want to keep your communities that you're responsible for safe. You don't know what's going to happen when you knock on a door and there's domestic violence. You don't know what's going to happen when you stop a car and the windows are tinted. You don't know what the hell's going to happen. But you do know, no matter what, people are going to be taking video of you and attacking you. And this has to be a terrible thing. I, I, I'm guessing you just said you were a Democrat. You've become a Republican. I'm guessing politics really never entered your mind until about now. No, it hasn't. And um, I mean, just little by little, I've opened my mind and expanded to, to different views. And I could see that the Democratic Party is just going in the complete opposite direction. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's going somewhere that I don't even know where it will land. And you know what? Neither do they. And they don't much care. That's the nature of the Marxist ideology. Sure, sure. Shake it up. Shake it up. And if you have to do it violently for a period of time, so be it. Yeah, now, I mean, I feel my safety at risk, my family's safety at risk. I mean, my son wears blue line shirts, and, you know, I'm scared. He might go to school and get assaulted for that. I mean, I I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know? It's it's a scary world we live in. I, I can't even tell you myself. I was assaulted recently while I was working, and uh, it was me and another person. 
And uh, the other person had to take a month and a half off of work. That wasn't that bad. And uh, we went to court on the case. And, I mean, uh, they pretty much said, uh, hey, you know, the guy has problems. He should go to anger management. And that, that was it. That was his consequence. So he didn't serve jail time? No, none at all. Yeah, This is amazing to me. I mean, my kids were taught, and I was taught by my parents, if a police officer stops you or a police officer talks to you, be respectful. You know, you guys used to be called peace officers. You realize that? That's correct. Peace officers. Now you're called uh, Gestapo and stormtroopers if you work for the feds. And you're called worse. And, and, you know, you have these videos of where these, these punk white kids, you can tell they're college students or whatever, in the face of like a, a black cop, just berating him and going after him, saying you're a turncoat to your own race. And go. It's sickening, absolutely sickening. And Joe Biden hasn't talked out against any of this, neither have the Democrats. Well, anyway, Frank, you protect yourself. You're in a part of the country that I care about. Um, I don't know. Do you ever see me tooting around out there, Frank? If I, if I do, I will truly stop you and say hello. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. You take care of yourself. I'm the bald guy in the car there, Mr. Producer, wearing the glasses and a baseball hat. I'm just kidding. But listen to Frank. Listen to, he's, he's representative of so many police officers out there. That's horrible. We'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Yes, it's true that Mark Levin is the fastest growing radio show in America. The Mark Levin Show is on at 877-381-3811. I don't know how much bigger we can get, but here we be. This really doesn't fit into anything we've been discussing, and I would encourage the people who've called in to hold on because I want to get to your excellent calls. I really do. But this is a point of personal privilege. As most of you know, Sean Hannity is one of my best friends. I've known him for decades. We talk all the time. And I have a handful of friends like that. A handful. And this lawsuit was filed, what, a week ago, give or take? I guess it was filed on Monday in the Southern District of New York. Um, naming a number of individuals at Fox. And the one I want to focus on is Kathy Aru. Kathy A-R-E-U. I don't know her. I've never met her. I've never spoken to her. But I've seen her on Fox from time to time. And there's a piece, shockingly, at Mediate, and I say shockingly because Mediate is a hate Trump leftist site, but apparently they've hired a serious journalist by the name of Rudy Takala. And I want to read something to you. Just so you know, when lawyers file a lawsuit, let's talk about a civil suit. They put stuff in the case, that is, in the brief, 
that they know will grab the media's attention. A lot of times they'll file that way because they want to shake down a corporation or shake down an individual. It's just not worth it to go through the litigation. And so the media run with the with the with, with the with the lawsuit. They run with the language and the allegations and the lawsuit. And it's very difficult for the person who's accused to catch up to the news. So I want to do some of that tonight. And it's really thanks to this Rudy Takala. And here's what Rudy writes. Inconsistencies are emerging in claims made by Kathy Aru, a once periodic Fox News guest, that she was harassed by some of the network's biggest names, including primetime anchor Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity. New emails obtained by Mediate shed further light on the case. In a lawsuit filed on Monday in the Southern District of New York, Aru claims she was harassed by Carlson, Hannity, uh, she also mentions Kurtz and another guy, and other employees of the network, and that she was largely barred from appearing after she declined their advances. So all these people are making advances toward her. In an initial response, the company said the claims were completely false. Over the last several days, records of Aru's appearances on the network and other publicly available information has undermined some of her claims. New emails between Aru and the network's employees seem to add to those concerns. Even more significantly, eyewitness accounts indicate Carlson's wife was with him on a key evening when Aru said Carlson promised her he would be alone. Now, claims against Sean Hannity. In a lawsuit, Aru claims she was a, quote, relatively regular, unquote, guest on Hannity's primetime show until March 8, 2018. Quote, on that day, Mr. Hannity, on set and in front of the entire studio crew and completely unsolicited, threw $100 on the set desk, the suit claimed. He then began calling out to the men in the room and demanding that someone take Miss Aru out on a date for drinks at Del Fresco's. He repeatedly yelled, who wants to take her out on a date? Take her on a date to Del Frisco's. The lawsuit says Aru was completely mortified and made clear that she was incredibly uncomfortable with Mr. Hannity's misogynistic behavior by quietly pleading with one of her friends in the room to accept the money so the humiliation would end. Thankfully, none of the staff cooperated with Mr. Hannity, even after he repeatedly chided one particular male employee for being afraid to take out a beautiful woman. Emails provided by Fox News and reviewed by Mediate appear to show that the male friend Aru referenced actually came to the set that evening at Aru's invitation. Quote, is it okay for me to bring a guest? Aru apparently wrote in an email to a staffer earlier that day, referring to the guest as Alex. She added, he's my good luck charm. He does yoga, very calming. I run, I'm nuts, before signing the email with a winking face and her name. The staffer replied, Ha ha, of course, no problem at all. We'll add him to the security list, signing the email with a smiling face. According to Fox News, which hired an outside firm to investigate Aru's allegations, Hannity offered Aru and her friend $100 to get drinks next door at Del Frisco after the appearance. I have Sean, I know Sean well enough, and he's extremely giving. And this is the sort of thing he might do. Not because he's seeking anything, but because he's being enormously friendly. Aru then apparently sent two emails thanking Hannity and his staff. So in other words, she goes to dinner with the guy she brought. 
The first at 10.37 in the evening said, thanks so much for having me on, way too much fun. The second was sent 639, 6.39 the next morning, included a picture of the martini she said she bought at Del Fresco's. Please thank Sean for a fun evening, I wrote. He shouldn't have, but we did exactly as he and Alex had bet, down to the pineapple martini, Alex being the friend that she brought. Now, Rue's lawsuit claimed that she believes the incident resulted in her being barred from future appearances. It says, after this incident and Ms. Aru's failure to play along, Ms. Aru was hardly ever, if ever at all, invited back to appear on Hannity on the Fox News channel. Now, according to Fox News records, it indicates Aru appeared on Hannity a total of nine times between the date of the alleged incident, March 8, 2018, and July 3, 2019. Of that nine times, Fox said, five appearances took place in the four months directly after the incident. A search by media confirmed that Aru appeared repeatedly on the show following the alleged incident, both with Hannity and with guest hosts. The network claimed that on one of those subsequent appearances, Aru thanked Hannity again for the drinks, and he again gave her and the same friend, Alex, money for another round of drinks. Does that sound like sexual harassment to you, Mr. Producer? Now, the claim against Tucker Carlson. Additional inconsistencies of Avaru's claim that she was harassed during her final 2018 appearance, quote-unquote. And by the way, look at the bad lawyering. You can go online and see how many times she appeared on the Hannity show on any given period of time, right? So why wouldn't the lawyer do that? Because it didn't help the case, that's why. It's called a shakedown. Now, final 2018 appearance, she says, on Carlson's program. Quote, following the show... Mr. Carlson changed on set into his leather jacket for the annual Christmas party that he told Miss Aru he would only be attending for approximately 10 minutes. I do that, too. I have a leather jacket that I put on. You take your suit jacket and your tie off. You put the jacket on. Reporters, including the spectators, Amber Athy, quickly noted Aru's final 2018 appearance with Carlson took place on November 30 that year. While the network's annual Christmas party took place on December 10th. Aru did not appear on the December 10th episode of the Tucker Carlson Tonight Show. Additionally, she appeared on a December 28th edition of the program, guest hosted that night by Mark Stein. While the final interview was archived on the film website IMDb, an attorney for Aru, Michael Willeman, told Mediate his client had no recollection of it. So she had no recollection of being on the show. He also said the Christmas party Aru was was referencing must have been a smaller holiday event held for Carlson's staff rather than the company-wide event because the dates aren't right, you see. The, inc- the incidents with Tucker Carlson actually occurred on November 30, not December 10, Willamount said. Mizarro misrecollected mis- that the incident occurred in December because it occurred following a winter Christmas segment. It's entirely possible that she appeared on December 28, although she doesn't have a specific recollection of that. And if she did appear... It was not in Mr. Carlson's physical presence. Now that claim leads to another issue. Following the show, Aru asserts in her lawsuit, Mr. Carlson, hardly making any effort to hide his intentions, began telling Miss Aru that he would be alone in New York City that night and specifically said that he would be staying alone in his hotel room without any wife or kids. Now a source familiar with the event told Mediate that Carlson's wife 
did attend the Tucker Carlson Tonight Christmas Party. Fox News also told media that Carlson hosted the entire party for his show staff alongside his wife, who stayed in the hotel with him that evening. Quote, she didn't go to the party, so she can't say who was there, but certainly stands by what he told her, a Rue attorney said. Rue's claim that she was harassed by Carlson also relies on insight into the Fox News host's frame of mind. Without question, Mr. Carlson was probing to see whether Miss Aru was interested in a sexual relationship, the suit said. Aru's public comments about Carlson since the alleged incident have also appeared to have been warm. In a, a 2019 post unearthed by Twitter users, Aru wrote that Carlson has always been polite to me. Quote, unquote. Ms. Aru awkwardly sidestepped Mr. Carlson's advances and declined to spend the night at his hotel, the lawsuit continued. Mr. Carlson promptly retaliated against Ms. Aru, who was featured on his show only three times in 2019 and has not appeared in 2020. Fox told Mediate the company records indicate Aru appeared on Carlson's show four times in the four months following the incident, the same number of times she appeared on the show in the four months preceding the incident. There's zero evidence of retaliation the network claimed. Network said that there were eyewitnesses to Carlson and Aru's conversation who would contradict her claim. Let's go on. Gianna Caldwell and Howard Kurtz. Aru's lawsuit named several individuals in addition. Wow, she must be something, Mr. Biz. She's being hit on by everybody in that, in that building, isn't she? Media buzz anchor Howard Kurtz, Fox analyst Gianna Caldwell, former daytime anchor Ed Henry. I can't speak to the Ed Henry stuff. That's really a separate lawsuit within this. It's a weird lawsuit. This lawyer brings a lawsuit. He obviously doesn't check the facts, which are available on the Internet. And he's got two plaintiffs in one lawsuit. He's got one who's suing Ed Henry and one who has sued the people that I just mentioned. Why wouldn't you bring separate lawsuits? They aren't the same set of facts. Now, according to the suit, after seeing a picture of Caldwell with Ann Coulter, Aru requested Caldwell introduce them, only to receive an invitation from Caldwell to have lunch. She said she ignored the message, following up with another request for an introduction. Caldwell responded, she says, by telling her to buy him lunch, what she described as setting a price to meet Ms. Coulter. Fox said in a statement Aru had asked Caldwell, many times for advice on how to attain a contract like Caldwell's with Fox News, and that he had assisted her as a professional courtesy. The network also quoted text to media where Aru allegedly continued texting after Caldwell declined her aggressive attempts to attain Coulter's contact information, eventually following up a message to Caldwell, quote, I am, I am, uh, I am, it's her misspelling. I meet her another way or not, it's all good. Finally, Rue said she sought to meet Kurtz to talk about strategies for winning full-time employment at Fox News, and that Kurtz, who lives in Washington, offered to meet Rue in his hotel lobby on a day he was in New York City texting, I'm just at my hotel making calls. Can you come to the, to the Muse lobby at 7.15? Rue said she refused and countered with a request for Kurtz to have dinner with Rue and her friend. Kurtz declined, so she wanted Kurtz to have dinner with her and her friend. Kurtz says, let's meet in the lobby. Kurtz declined and made a further comment that led her to presume that he was seeking to meet, quote, only if she were alone and at his hotel for sexual reasons. Now, Kurtz didn't say that. That's what the lawyer is saying. Kurtz, according to Aru's lawsuit, said in sum and substance that she was the only woman here who won't have to come to my hotel room. 
Fox said Kurtz made his availability clear, telling her in an email before the text exchange, quote, I may just have a little time to chat in the hotel lobby, unquote. When Kurtz declined to attend a dinner with Aru and her friend, Fox said, Aru became particularly aggressive, writing by text message, what? I'll be right there. I'm totally available right now. The company said she followed up by emailing Kurt. What's your room number? What name are you under? What's your cell? I'm coming over. We can do it the easy way or the hard way. Kurtz apparently did not reply to those messages. What a bogus, bogus lawsuit that this lawyer brings on her behalf. Really shocking. And I hope the media reports heavily on this. I'll be right back. Lovin. All right, let us go to Bruce, Portland, Oregon, the great KUFO. Bruce, have you seen Joe Scarborough anywhere in Portland? I have not, only on the TV, you know. Well, how does he know uh, so much about what's taking place there? He says, look, this is mostly peaceful. Good question, you know. Um, I'm a conservative out here, and I see liberals out here in white Portland, so maybe he ought to come out and actually put eyes on the scene and see what's going on. As yeah, beady as his eyes are, maybe he can bring his lovely wife, Mika, and they can leave their estate in Jupiter, Florida, and come out to Portland and check things out. Maybe they can bring their buddy Michael Steele with them. That's and right. Zig Heilman. Get right ahead. They can all come out. But I, I went down last night just to kind of get a first eye, a hand view of what's going on outside of a floor, four block area of our downtown. Um, it's a ghost town. It's, it's sad the way everything is boarded up. There's no traffic. There's no people. You get down into where the federal courthouse is. Uh, I went down there about 630 last night. There's a couple hundred people milling around in our parks that are across from the courthouse kind of waiting for, you know, a little bit later on in the evening. Throughout, I was down there for about four or five hours till about 10 o'clock. Um, throughout the evening, people are coming in, you know, via our rail system. Let me, let me hold you right there. The music's coming a hard break. I'd like to carry you over. So it's about 10 p.m., and then things start to change. So you're a citizen. You live there. You see what's taking place. You're not in Jupiter, Florida. And I want to get the rest of this. We'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. America, Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, We're going to get back to Bruce in a little bit, but I, I want to go over something with you. I want to go over something with you, and let's see how close we were. Let's see how close we were in 2012. With what's going on today. Let's see how close we were eight years ago. With basically what the Democrats, these Marxists are doing, is promoting what I call a meritopia. These notions of utopianism, glorious predictions, unachievable promises, 
and they substitute them for knowledge and science and reason while laying claim to all of them. And yet there's nothing new in deception disguised as hope, nothing original in abstraction framed as progress. A heavenly society is said to be just within reach if only the individual surrenders more of his liberty, meaning the good, the general good as prescribed by the state. And if he refuses, he will be tormented and ultimately coerced into compliance, for conformity is essential. Indeed, nothing good can come of self-interest, which is condemned as morally indefensible and empty. Through persuasion, deceit, and coercion, the individual must be stripped of his identity and subordinated to the state. He must abandon his own ambitions to the ambitions of the state. must become reliant and fearful of the state. Now, especially threatening, therefore, are the industrious, independent, and successful. For they demonstrate what is actually possible under current societal conditions. Achievement, happiness, and fulfillment. Thereby contradicting and endangering the utopian campaign against what was or is. They must either be co-opted and turned into useful contributors to or advocates for the state. Or neutralized through sabotage or other means. The individual's contribution to society must be downplayed, dismissed, or denounced unless the contribution is directed by the state and involves self-sacrifice for the cause of the state. Now this utopianism, or Marxism, also attempts to shape and dominate the individual by doing two things at once. This is very important. It strips the individual of his uniqueness, making him indistinguishable from the multitudes that form what is commonly referred to as the masses. But it simultaneously assigns him a group identity based on race, ethnicity, age, gender, and income to highlight differences within the masses. It then exacerbates old rivalries and disputes it, or it incites new ones. This way it can speak to the well-being of the people as a whole while dividing them against themselves, thereby stampeding them in one direction or another as necessary to collapse the existing society or rule over the new one. Am I close so far, Mr. Producer? Well, utopianism is advanced through gradualism rather than revolution, albeit steady and persistent, as in democratic societies, and you can replace the word with utopianism with Marxism because it's really meant to be the same. It can, deceive, it can deceive and disarm an unsuspecting population, which is largely content and passive. It is sold as reforming and improving the existing society's imperfections and weaknesses without imperiling its basic nature. Under these conditions, it is mostly ignored, dismissed, or tolerated, but much of the citizenry and celebrated by the rest. Transformation is deemed innocuous, well-intentioned, and perhaps constructive, but not a dangerous trespass on fundamental liberties. Now, this utopianism, or Marxism, also finds a receptive audience among the society's disenchanted, disaffected, dissatisfied, and maladjusted who are unwilling or unable to assume responsibility for their own real or perceived conditions, but instead blame their surroundings, 
the system, and others. They are lured by the false hopes and promises of utopian transformation and the criticisms of the existing society to which their connection is tentative or non-existent. Improving the malcontents' lot becomes linked to the Marxist cause. Moreover, disparaging and diminishing the successful and accomplished becomes an essential tactic. No one should be better than anyone else, regardless of the merits or value of his contributions. It's just white privilege. By exploiting human frailties, frustrations, jealousies, and inequities, a sense of meaning and worth is created in the malcontents' otherwise unhappy and directionless life. Simply put, equality and misery, that is, equality of result or conformity, is advanced as a just, fair, and virtuous undertaking. Liberty, therefore, is inherently immoral, except where it avails equality. Was I close? Well, equality is understood by the American founders has nothing to do with the Marxism notion. It is the natural right of every individual to live freely under self-government, to acquire and retain the property he creates through his own labor, and to be traded impartially before a just law. And equality should not be confused with perfection, for man is also imperfect, making his application of equality, even in the most just society, imperfect. Otherwise, inequality is the natural state of man in the sense that each individual is born in all his human characteristics, unique. Therefore, equality and inequality properly comprehended are both engines of liberty. Equality can be more transparent at surface level. It is posited as a far-off concept of human perfectibility, but is also delivered in bits and pieces, or at least appears to be in daily life usually takes the form of material rights, so-called, delivered to the individual by the state. Liberty is encouraged if its end is equality. Liberty by itself is not encouraged at all. Equality is also disguised as or confused with popular sovereignty, that is, the conflation of the people's will with egalitarian campaigns such as social justice, Migrants' rights, workers' rights, etc. In essence, then, true democracy cannot be achieved unless society is reorganized around the disparate and endless demands of disparate and endless claimants. In due course, such a society becomes chaotic and balkanized as it dissolves and crises build. The stage is set for escalating coercion or repression. Pretty close. Pretty close. Now, in this utopia or Marxist regime, rule by masterminds is both necessary and necessarily primitive because it excludes so much that is known to man and about man. The mastermind is driven by his own boundless conceit and delusional aspirations, which he self defines as a noble calling. He alone is uniquely qualified to carry out this mission. He is, in his own mind, a savior of mankind if only man will bend to his will. Such can be the addiction of power. It can be an irrational, egoistic, and absurdly frivolous passion that engulfs even sensible people. In this, the mastermind suffers from a psychosis of sorts and endeavors to substitute his own ambitions for the individual ambitions of millions of people. 
The mastermind is served by an enthusiastic intelligentsia or so-called experts professionally engaged in developing and spreading utopian fantasies. Although there are conspicuous exceptions, longtime Harvard professor Harvey Mansfield explained that modern intellectuals have monumental impatience with human complexity and imperfection. And they believe that politics is a temporary necessity until the rational solution is in place. And he's right. And then I point out, of course, the rational solutions are not rational at all. Well, intellectuals are obviously smart. They're not smart enough to have conquered the social sciences and use them to rejigger society. They are posers to knowledge they do not and cannot possess. Now, for the rest, we the people, we the people, transforming society becomes a struggle between the utopia, that is Marxism, and self-determination and self-preservation since the individual must acquiesce to centralized decision-making. Apart from brute force, the mastermind has in his arsenal a weapon that provides him with a predominant advantage, the law, their use and abuse of the law. Furthermore, centralizing and consolidating authority is required to replace dispersed decision-making with a command and control structure, the purpose of which is to coerce behavior in pursuit of a fantasy, a dogmatic cause, a false religion. That is not to say that knowledge and information from outside the central authority go without notice. Rather, it's collected in a self-serving, haphazard, and incomplete way to tinker and adjust, to torment and control, but never as a means to fundamentally challenge assumptions, reconsider policies, or disprove the utopian ends. And you can see this with the data on the coronavirus. The mastermind relies on uniform standards born of insufficient knowledge and information. Now, although the master, this is important, although the mastermind's incompetence and vision plagued the society, plagued the society, responsibility must be diverted elsewhere to those assigned to carry them out or to the people's lack of sacrifice. You can hear Fauci here. Or to the enemies of the state who have conspired to thwart the utopian cause. Trump, of course. For the mastermind is inextricably linked to the fantasy. And if he is fallible, then who is to usher in paradise? If his judgment and wisdom are in doubt, then the entire venture might invite scrutiny. So this leads to grander and bolder social experiments requiring further coercion. What went before is said to have been piecemeal and therefore inadequate. The steps necessary to achieve true utopianism, a.k.a. true Marxism, have therefore never been tried. Now for the individual and the people generally, this is dispiriting, destabilizing, and impoverishing. Although all state action is said to be taken in the people's interest, the heavy if not crippling burden they shoulder is the price they pay for an impossible cause, a cause greater than their lives, liberty, and happiness. The individual becomes inconsequential as a person and useful only as an insignificant part of an agglomeration of insignificant parts. He is a worker, part of the mass, nothing more, nothing less. His existence is soulless. Absolute obedience is the highest virtue. After all, only an army of drones is capable of building a rainbow to paradise. Clearly, utopianism or Marxism is incompatible with constitutionalism. 
This utopianism requires power to be concentrated in a central authority with maximum latitude to transform and control. Conversely, a constitution establishes parameters that define the form and the limits of government. For the mastermind where the constitution is believed useful to utopian ends, it will be invoked. Or it is not, under the pretense of legitimate differences of interpretation, it will be abandoned outright or remade through various doctrinal schemes and administrative evasions. For the mastermind, the Constitution's words are as undeserving of respect as the rest of our history. They will be used to muddle and disarrange, not inform and clarify. And the Constitution's authors, ratifiers, and present-day proponents will be dismissed as throwbacks. To follow them will be to renounce modernity and progress. And yet to follow the mastermind is to renounce the American finding and heritage. Remarkable how close I was in chapter one of Ameritopia eight years ago. And finally, I write in that chapter, utopianism is not new. It has been repackaged countless times since Plato and before. It's as old as tyranny itself. In democracies, its practitioners legislate without end. In America, laws piled upon law and contravention and contradiction of the governing law, the Constitution. But there are no actual masterminds who, upon election or appointment, are magically imbued with godlike qualities. These are pretenders with power, lots of power. When they are not rebelling, they are dictating. When they are not rebelling, they are dictating. But the ultimate objective is always the same, control over the individual in order to control society. They are adamantly committed to their abstraction and their accumulation of authority to pursue it to devastating effect. And you can see these utopians in Plato's Republic, in Thomas More's Utopia, in Thomas Hobbes's Leviathan, in Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto. That is what we're up against. And they're trying to destroy John Locke and his notion of nature of man. Charles de Montesquieu and his notion of republicanism. Alexis de Tocqueville and his notion of democracy in America. This is exactly where we are, as predicted eight years ago. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Let me, uh, let me bring this to a point, to a sharp point. We have a number of things going on here at once. I told you the other day, these things do get into the echo chamber, obviously, that the goal of the Democrat Party is to make this country so miserable to live in that you're going to want change, any change, and that's for Joe Biden. I told you that two weeks ago. It's true. That in part is what's going on. Number two, I've compared to what's going on in the cities, to the Confederacy, the secessionist movement, the nullifying of federal law, the nullifying of the federal constitution, federal statutes, federal law enforcement. Um, And so you have this Confederacy-like secessionist movement going on in these, these large cities. But number three, you also have national politicians who are not only cheering on the looting and the rioting in this secessionist movement, or this new confederacy, if you will. Uh, But their goal is to take over the national government. 
where these kinds of secession of movements are no longer necessary. And so they will impose on the entire nature, on the entire nation, the nature of what's taking place in these cities and states on all of the country. That is exactly what's taking place. So the irony of Nancy Pelosi and others removing Confederate statues when these are the ancestors of the modern Democrat Party, uh, which have just moved their uh, segregationism into a separatism movement for the purpose of serving the ultimate centralization of power, uh, really is grotesque. I'm going to have a guest on Sunday. I don't normally mention this on Thursday. Uh, on Life, Liberty, and Levin. And I hope if you can't watch it live, you'll DVR it. But I want to strongly encourage you to watch it. Tell your neighbors to watch it, your family and colleagues and friends. It's a very, very important program. I already know because I just did it. And I'm interviewing Stanley Kurtz. And who's Stanley Kurtz? He's going to be a national hero by the time I'm done. You may recall he was on the radio program last week. He's been on the radio program before. The aim and the target of the suburbs by Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders and AOC and the others. What they plan to do is just shocking. And if they get into power, they will do it. I'll be right back. If you turn off your radio and open the window, you can probably hear him straight from the studio. Call Mark Levin at 877-381-3811. I couldn't believe it. We were being evicted from our home that we never sold. That's what Deborah said when she learned she was the victim of home title fraud, a devastating crime that can cost you your home. And title fraud is not, not covered by insurance or common identity theft services. The only folks to trust to protect your home's title is Home Title Lock. Cyber thieves discovered the titles to our homes are kept online. They forge your name or your deed stating you sold your home and refile as the new owner. And in Deborah's case, she didn't even know she was a victim until the eviction notice arrived. Home Title Lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title. The instant they detect tampering, they mobilize to shut it down. First things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com, register your address to see if you're already a victim and you don't know it. Then use code MARK for 30 free days of protection. That's home title lock, code MARK, home title lock, code MARK. All right, let's go back to our callers. Bruce has been waiting patiently, Portland, Oregon. The great KUFO, KUFO. Go ahead, Bruce. Hey, Mark, thank you. Um, as I was uh, saying earlier, I went actually went downtown to, uh, to check out the protests in Portland last night. Um, outside of a four-block area in our big city, um, it's a ghost town. Within the four-block area, though, is kind of where everything's going on. There are uh, campers down there. There's homeless down there. There are people that actually do come in and do peaceful protesting. That kind of occurred last night. Um, I was down there for about four hours last night, uh, about 9 o'clock. About a 1,000 protesters that started somewhere else in the city kind of joined the group, mainly the Wall of Moms, amongst others, uh, as they're calling themselves. They did some social injustice chants, you know, some basic peaceful get-the-word-out messaging. Um, But during this whole time, during the whole four hours, all of these people are showing up outside of, you know, the people that are down there for a legitimate cause. They're dressed in black. They've got helmets on. They've got goggles on. You know they're not down there just to protest. 
Um, once the peaceful side of things are done, nine thirty, ten, eleven o'clock, they kind of we we go home. I went home, and every night this is what's been going on from about midnight, eleven thirty or so, till three, four in the morning. There's a whole group of people, you know, the Antifa group, as they're called, trying to trying to breach the fence and get into the federal building, the federal, you know, and and do damage to it. Um, I didn't see a single law enforcement person down there last night. It's not until all of this mayhem starts that these that, that the enforcement comes out and tries to protect the property. You know, it's not it's not you, you listen to the national news and you think there are. Van- so Joe Scarborough and his ilk are lying through their teeth. They are. You listen to the national pundits and you would think there are vans driving all over town all the time, just gathering up people and taking them away. That is not happening. That's, that's- so Nancy Pelosi calling the federal law enforcement trying to protect a federal building, a courthouse for crying out loud. In other words, attacking directly our governmental system when she calls them stormtroopers. She is a liar and disgusting. It's disgusting. You know, Ted Wheeler, our mayor, told our local police to stand down. So that's why the feds came in. I mean, what are we supposed to do? Just let these, you know, anarchists attack and destroy buildings? It's like, this is crazy. Well, just be clear on Election Day who's supporting what. It's very, very important for people to understand this. Bruce, I want to thank you, my friend. Appreciate it for your eyewitness account. Let's go to Pat, Las Vegas, Nevada, the great K-Dawn, K-D-W-N. How are you, Pat? I'm fine, thank you. It is so good to to speak with you. It's an honor to do so. Thank you. You know, I I called in to make a different point, but what you read was so powerful that all I could think of as I was listening to this about utopianism is how willing the African-American community is to be a part of that, not only willing, eager, and, and I've I've never been able to understand why all of this chaos that we're seeing, I have always seen within the black community itself. And what the rest of the country may not be. You're, you're an African-American, I take it? I am. All right. Go I ahead. am. And, and what I'm seeing, Mark, is that you, there is black leadership that encourages our young people to be involved in the chaos in the street. They will look the other way when that chaos is in the community. And and it breaks my heart to witness millions of African Americans in this country remain silent when the head of Black Lives Matter and and Don Lemon and, and these people saying uh, Black Lives Matter, it, 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 their cause is not for this child who was killed in the community. We're talking about police brutality. What lives matter more than our children? How can we ignore that? Where are the voices on that? There is so much going on in the black community, so much work that is needed that it scares me because I don't understand. And I didn't grow up in a black community. So that was that was, it's been difficult for me my entire life because many members of the community resent that in and of itself. But I've never been able to understand. And yet, and yet, many of the members of the community who get very wealthy and, and uh, get, get big degrees out of colleges and universities or work at the NBA or in the NFL, whatever, they move into the same communities where you live. Exactly. And, and, you no, know- and, and nobody calls them out. Mark, what I had to defend my entire life was the fact that both of my parents sent all nine of us to Catholic school. 
And I heard remarks about that even as recently as, I don't know, 10 years ago when my kids were in Catholic school. So, so there's a sense of you should not, you should feel guilty if you didn't grow up in the ghetto, if you haven't. If you succeed, you should feel guilty. That's what's going on here. And 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 just and, real and, quick. and and no wonder that first chapter resonated with you. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. No, no, that's quite all right. Um, you said something earlier in the show that caught my attention because I've been saying it for I don't know how long, and you said it seems to be acceptable to say almost anything to and about white people. I, listen, I I could not understand that you hit the nail on the head, and I just had a conversation. Some men were talking this morning, and the issue was whether or not they thought, and these were white men, and they, the issue was whether or not they thought Trump was racist. And one person, one black person, told uh, the young man who didn't think so that he was beginning to think he was racist, and that's all that needed to be said for the rest of them to chime in, one by one, people were saying they thought he was racist. And I finally, wasn't my place to, but I finally said to him, you are not racist. You know it. I know it. And you hesitated to deny it. And you're not real adamant about it when you say it. And that's part of the problem. White people are almost, they, they appear to be hesitant to deny it for fear of offending somebody. And, and what's interesting, if you're white and you're hardcore left and you're hardcore Democrat Party, you won't be called a racist. So it's really an ideological thing where race is used to shut down debate and to control the language and to, and to empower and disempower. And Shelby Stills written about this brilliantly, and that is you call somebody a racist to shut down debate, you feel morally superior, and you destroy them. You destroy their character. You destroy them as people. But you feel better for saying it. Is that, that's about right, right? That, that is not only right, but have you noticed that it's not often you hear black people say that a white man or white woman is racist. It is the name that white America is calling each other when they don't agree in a mm-hmm. debate. Mm-hmm. I don't... I, I'll, I'm I'll tell a, you why. Because... For that white person, it makes them feel superior. It makes them feel moral. It makes them feel like whatever they did in their past, it might be wrong. It doesn't matter anymore because they're not racist. But anyone who disagrees with them, they're racist. And having just said it, having just done that, uh, they feel superior and they feel like they have a clean slate. It is insane. We have got to do something. I'm very troubled by what I see. I'm very troubled by what I'm not hearing from people who should be saying, wait a minute. And, and I know that there are a lot of people who don't agree with it but are afraid to speak up. I know how Donald Trump feels because that's the way middle-class America feels in the black community when you don't jump on board. Pat, I hope you'll call again. Beautiful call, and you sound like a lovely lady, and I want to thank you very much. Isn't she terrific? Let's go to Moses. Who better to go to now than Moses? North Bergen County, New Jersey, the great WABC. How are you, Moses? I'm doing great, Mark. It's always good to talk to you, my friend. Thank you so much for taking my call. Thank you, sir. 
All right. So, Mark, the one thing that I'm listening listening to everything that's happening, you know, some of the callers that I'm listening to, uh, there's one theme that shows basically the weakness of the Republican Party and also the strength of the president. You know, like the one thing, speaking for myself, I was able to discover my own political identity because of the election of President Trump. And just looking at the values of what the party, not just the politicians themselves, but what the party and the principles, what they represent, I knew that I was a conservative. You know, like I was awakened. And the Republican Party, the GOP, it should not be the president by himself making the case as to why people need to align with the GOP for this election. The people that are running, the potential freshman class of senators and the potential freshman class in the Congress need to all get together and lay out their support, lay out the agenda for 2020, what they are going to want to accomplish so they can have a more clear contrast to the American people as to why they should align with the party themselves and what's at stake. Because I really fear about what's going to happen if Joe Biden wins, you know, me, I'm a, I'm a former Marine. I'm a firefighter right now with a pension living in New Jersey with, with taxes through the roof. You know, and I'm very concerned about this. And what needs to happen is that the Republican Party, they have a messaging crisis. They need to make it very clear what they stand for and why people need to align themselves with them. And it cannot be the president by himself making the case. You are so right. It's the president who's standing up for the country. It's the president who's standing against these radicals. You don't see Mitch McConnell doing this. Do you even know who the number two guy in the Senate is? Does anybody even know? Yeah, John Cornyn. Does he ever speak out? Not at all. And he's in Texas. He's in Texas. He's running for re-election. And all he wants to do is create another federal holiday. Mm-hmm. And so, you, pe- yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we need people. We need people simply to push back against the Democrat Party with just half the vigor that they're going after Republicans with. you got Adam Schiff launching unconstitutional impeachments. you got Adam Schiff putting out the phone records of private American citizens and even Devin Nunes himself, the other congressman. You know, like, where are the Republican chairman of the Senate pushing back against the people and against the, the, the lawlessness of the House? Nowhere. All right, Moses, I want to thank you, my friend. You're a great patriot. Thank you for your service, and thank you for being a patriot. He is terrific. Landmark Legal Foundation today filed a complaint against the Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee. You want to know why? You probably don't even know this. They've asked the U.S. Senate Select Committee on Ethics to investigate the Democrats on the committee to determine whether their ex parte communications with three federal judges on the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit constitute improper conduct that may reflect upon the Senate. So what did they do? What did they do? All of them sent a letter to judges Robert Luck, Barbara Lagoa, and Andrew Brashear requesting from these federal judges in the middle of a case an explanation for their continued participation in Jones versus DeSantis, a case implementing the voting rights of 750,000 Florida residents, quote-unquote. The senators contend wrongly that their inquiry is an exercise of their authority as the first branch to oversee the judiciary. It's nothing to do with whether the first branch or the last branch. Their order is irrelevant. The letters include references to rules of judicial ethics implying a threat to initiate complaints against the judges if they refuse to recuse themselves from the Jones versus DeSantis appeal. So here we have the Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee trying to influence the outcome of a federal case in a federal circuit court 
and you hear nothing. Not a word. Why hasn't the Chief Justice issued a statement? He was quick to issue a statement against the President of the United States when the President said something that was wholly truthful. There were Obama judges, Bush judges, so forth and so on. Bush judges, you know, like Roberts, who's become more buffoonish by, by the term. But what do you think of this? Nothing is said. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. We're running out of time. Let's go quickly. Jim, Huntsville, Alabama, the great WVNN. Jim, go right ahead, sir. Uh, yes, sir. You're on, baby. Okay. The There is a very good reason why they are doing those snatch and grabs uh, with the rioters in Portland. Let me and guess. Is- Hold on. You're a cop. Let me guess. Because they know who some of these ringleaders are. Yes, sir. And yes, so they're, they're grabbing far. them to, in order to reduce the violence. Yes, sir. Reduce the violence, and they do it in such a fashion as to overwhelm their senses so that they, one, don't try and run away or fight. They're easily, easily taken into custody, placed in the vehicle, and removed from the scene before it can become a much more involved incident. Mm-hmm. A good takedown will last a minute, two minutes, and you're out of there. So these these individuals, these federal law enforcement are doing this should be applauded, right? They're not doing neck holds. They're not doing everything they're told not to do. They're quietly and effectively removing thugs. Yes, most definitely, sir. Mm-hmm. How's Huntsville doing? I love that town. It's a nice town. Well, it is a nice town. Uh, it's having problems just like all the other communities. We're mm-hmm. not a Democrat, but we are a Republican town. But it the there's Marxists everywhere. Let me put it that way. Pardon, pardon there, me, sir. There, there are Marxists everywhere. Oh yes, sir. And that's the truth. <laughs> They're everywhere. All and, right. Well, listen. Take care of yourself. You know what I like? What's it called? University Boulevard? Is that the main drag there? Yes, sir, it is. I yes, love that road. Is. You want to know why, officer? Why, there, that, are, sir? there are more restaurants, or used to be, on that road than anywhere in the world. <laughs> and I could eat whatever the heck I wanted to. Oh, well, yes, there was a uh, quite a cornucopia of restaurants there <laughs> that uh, you could choose from. All right. Well, you sound like a great guy. Please give everybody in the department my best, will you, Jim? All right. God bless you. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. And God bless each and every one of you. We can't be dispirited. We got a big battle coming up, folks. And it's coming just in a few months. And we're going to do this together. Stick with me. I'll see you tomorrow. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.